All right, so the, the passage that we're going to be considering, and actually it's a kind of a brief uh, passage I'm going to read tonight from the, not the Gospel of John, but the Epistle of John. Kids, maybe sometimes you hear that word epistle uh, said by a, a, a pastor, and epistle is just a letter. So you have the Gospel of John is the fourth book of the Bible. You have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but then you have what are called epistles, and there are three epistles of John, same author, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So we're in 1st John. It's the fifth book of, uh, from the end of the New Testament. So 1st John chapter 3. I want to read just the first three verses. And then um, what we're going to do is we're going to get back to our series, our what we call our catechetical teaching series on the basics of the Christian faith from a document that we've been covering um, since I've been here and which many of us are familiar with, maybe not all, but many of us, and that's a document that goes back to 1563, many years. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism. So we're going to confess question and answer 26. I find it rather interesting that, um, that here it is Father's Day and we're looking at who God our Father is. And that wasn't planned. It just happened to be in God's timing where we're at in Heidelberg. So it works really quite nicely. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 3, the first three verses. What I usually like to do is um, uh, in, my, in the evening service, or evening afternoon service, a lot of times um, I take a book of praise from home, and I, I want to read out of that book because I have notes in it as well. And if I, you know, a lot of details today, and I forgot to bring it this afternoon. So I'm going to be working with the uh, overhead with you as well. So hopefully that will work okay. All right, 1 John chapter 3. Kids, I want you to listen up because there are three important words in this passage. Father, God the Father. Children, that's you and me, all of us, and love. Okay? See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we will see Him as He is, and everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. That's all we're going to read now. Now, I want to draw your attention um, to the Heidelberg Catechism. Do we have it up there? There we go. Okay, Lord's Day. Nine, question answer, 26. So as we customarily do here, I'll read the question, then we're going to say the answer together. So here's the question. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Let's give the answer. That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence is, for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow, he is able to do so as Almighty God and willing also as a faithful Father. That, that is a, um, it's, it's, it's a beautiful question and answer, and 
it's a very balanced one. You know the nature of catechisms, right? Um, and I'm always aware that sometimes there are people in the service who didn't grow up with what we call catechisms, and oftentimes, you know, when people hear catechism, right, and I think I've explained this here before, that if you didn't grow up with that tradition, you, you'll think that that comes out of Roman Catholicism, when in fact, when in fact, during the time of what we call the 16th century Reformation, which was a reform movement in the church, just in the 1560s alone, um, there were dozens of catechisms. In fact, there are about, I think there are over 60 confessions and catechisms that were written in order to instruct people in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus Christ and the contents of the Bible. And what's nice about, about what we're going through in the catechism series is that the nature of catechisms are such that they're, they're basic summaries. They're basic summaries of Christian truth. So I oftentimes explain this in catechism classes I teach when I'm trying to get the kids to understand what a catechism is. I'll say a catechism is like a map. And when I grew up as a kid, you know, we didn't, we didn't have cell phones, but you had, you had what we're called, you know, this is going to be great for some of you who are middle-aged and older. Remember atlases? Atlases, right? And you open it up and there's this, there's this big map inside, it's usually about this big, and you put it on your lap and you look at it and it, it gives a kind of summary of your trip. And some of the atlases, you can see a whole picture of Canada and you know BC's over here and what? Newfoundland's over here? Nova Scotia. Anyway, so it's way over <laughs> I'm sorry, this is what you get when you get an American. Okay, but I'm working on it. So you go from, from, from Western Canada, Eastern Canada, you get, you get to see the whole country, and you get to see the road systems. Well, that's what a catechism does. It's like a road system to the Bible. And they're really, really pretty helpful, and sometimes very, it's not accurately written, but very uh, beautifully written. So that's the same thing with question answer 26. Well, in question answer 26, you notice um, in, the, in the question, um, there you go. What do you believe when you say, now notice it's in italics, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now, if you're part of this church, that should be ringing a bell. Where does that come from, right? Apostles' Creed. Apostles' Creed. So what we're doing now in, in this whole series on the catechism is we're, lay, that we're, we're examining each phrase of this fundamental creed that was written in the fourth century called the Apostles' Creed that teaches us the basics of the Christian faith. We're going to pick it apart in this, in this catechetical series. So the very first thing we're looking at is the very beginning of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What's the significance for us? And what does it really mean that God is your Father? All right. Um, I want to I I begin with, with this simple question. When you, when you think about God, um, does, it, does it ever strike you that when you think about God or when you speak about God or when you pray to God, you may refer to God as your Father? I mean, have you, does that ever strike you as pretty incredible? And, and, and do you ever let that really sink in? I mean, there's just, there's just a lot of people who live in this world who are not classic atheists who just say, I don't, know, I don't believe in God. I mean, there are those, and they're increasing, but most people, if you interact with them, who would not call themselves Christians, still believe in some kind of God, some kind of deity, right? But you will never, well, never very, very rarely find someone who is a non-Christian who will refer to this God who is out there which they only know as God, there are very few that actually refer to him or know him as a father. I think that's really sad. 
I also think it's very beautiful when God reveals himself to us and we embrace him as such that we can call him Father, Abba, the Aramaic, Abba, which, which is a term of endearment, term, a very personal term where, where we can say, my, not just Father, but my Father, my Father. Now, one more thing before I get into the text very quickly. Um, in the various pastors I've had, I've interacted with, with men who very interesting are just not in their 20s, but 30s, 40s, and 50s and beyond, where they have what I call daddy issues, right? Where they think back to the kind of dad that they had in their home, and it wasn't a really great dad. Some of these dads were emotionally aloof. They were around the house, I suppose, sometimes, and very emotionally aloof. Sometimes they weren't around at all. Sometimes they were abusive. Sometimes these guys got beat up when they were kids. Um, sometimes, uh, well... Yeah, a few guys, their dads were imprisoned, and one guy told me this story one time, who now is a wonderful father himself, but when his, his biological father found out that his mother was pregnant with him, beat her up and kicked her as hard in the stomach as he could in order to abort the baby. How would you like to have that as a father? That's his memory. You know... And when you take a look at, now, now we have a number of men here, it is Father's Day, and when you think about your own dad, or even, well, listen, we can involve the, you as uh, girls and mothers here as well. When you think about your father, I mean, what, what comes to your mind? Was he a good dad? Was he a bad dad? You know? Um, I, think, I think about my own dad, and, and uh, I actually, praise God, I had a, had a pretty good dad, had a great dad. Um, but, I, but you know what? You remember times you go, yeah, but I, I remember what my dad said, or he did this, or he had this quality that wasn't a real shining quality. And then you realize, you know what? Even if you can say, I had a, eh, I had a pretty good dad, at the same time, there's no one like your Heavenly Father who's perfectly consistent, perfectly loving, perfectly caring. That's the one we're going to explore, okay? Now, I want to draw your attention to 1 John chapter 3. And I want to read just the two verses. So take a look at those two verses, if you would. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See. See. Understand what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. Um, because this by nature an afternoon service is a catechetical service, a little bit more of a teaching service, and we're going to have a little bit of discussion time, just brief, uh, after, after the sermon is done. So what I want to do for this kind of teaching part service is I want you to, I want you to pay very close attention to the very wording of the, of the first two verses especially the first verse. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, give relatively quickly, I wanna give four bullet points, four bullet points. First one is this. Um, sometimes, and I want you to challenge you this in your own Bible reading at home, assuming that you, you have Bibles and you read at home sometimes, that sometimes when you're reading, I want you to stop, I want you to reflect, and I want you to ask yourself the question, um, why are certain words used? Because as Christians, we believe in what's called verbal inspiration. I don't know if you know what that means, but technically, among theologians, that means that every word of the Bible is inspired by God and is divine origin, okay? So we take every word seriously in the Bible, right? 
So that's why when ministers look at a text, they have to look at the very wording and phrases and stuff in the original language of the Bible. Okay, that's just a given. Now, sometimes it's good to not only look at the specific kind of words and what they say, but sometimes it's good to ask yourself the question, what isn't it saying? What is it not saying? And I want to do that for the first two of the four points really quick. Number one, notice what it doesn't say. Notice the first verse doesn't say, see the love the Father has given to us. But it says, see what kind of love the Father has given us. What kind of love? So it's talking about a particular kind of love that the Father has given us. The idea is that the kind of love that God has given us is actually found in that word love in the beginning of this text, which is the word agape, which points to self-sacrificial kind of love. So the question is, what kind of love has God given us? It's not a generic love, a broad love, where you know some people have the idea that, well, God, if you're going to call him Father, okay, he just loves everybody, and he loves everybody the same. The Bible doesn't teach us that. Every individual in this world is created by God, but just because they're creatures of God doesn't mean that God is loving on them in the way that he loves us, a saving love, a redemptive love, an intimate love. The word love here, agape, again means self-sacrifice. So what kind of love, here's the practical point, what kind of love has God given us in Christ? The love that the Father has given us is an intimate, it's a saving love, it's a love so deep that God said, I am going to sacrifice my own son with whom I've experienced intimacy from all eternity. I am going to give him over for you. So in that sacrifice, in that death, I might draw you to myself, save you, and keep you. That's the kind of love. It's a special love that's focused on his own that he's come to sacrifice his son for. Very specific, very special. Listen. Um, I don't know if I, I think I gave it to the AV. Do you have Deuteronomy 7? Can you put that up there? All right. I want to draw your attention. This is the kind of love that God showed to his people already in the Old Testament. Um, do you have Deuteronomy? There you go. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Kids, the word holy, the idea in holy means set apart. God says, of all the people in the nations of the earth, I have set you apart for me. Okay? The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you. <laughs> so the idea, kids, the idea is this. You have all these people on the planet, all these peoples, and God says, you know what? Of all the peoples on the face of, my, of the planet, I, I place my love upon you. Now, that's a special love. I chose you. I put my love upon you. I sacrificed my son for you. You ever think about that? You know, sometimes in my own quiet moments, I, I kind of go, like, why am I a recipient of this love? Why do I get it? You know, the Bible tells me it was God's good pleasure. That's what it tells me. And you know what God says to us? Like he said to his people, 
God says, you know what? I look down and I didn't, I didn't look at you and go, hmm, of all the other peoples on the place of the planet, they're a little bit morally better or they're stronger or more capable or anything like that. Uh-uh. We are like, we are no different than anybody else on this planet. Yet God says, but, but I put my love on you. I hope that humbles you. I hope it makes you grateful. I hope it inspires you to live that kind of life for the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. Okay, moving on. Secondly, real quick. Here it says, notice again what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, see what kind of love the Father gave us, but see what kind of love the Father has given us. Now, this is what ministers do. They think in technical terms, but not, not to not just because they're kind of technocrats or because they want to sound sophisticated, but because there are practical implications of this. Now listen again. It doesn't say, um, see the kind of love the Father gave us but has given us. Here's the difference. Stick with me here. In the original language, you have two, two important tenses. You have what's called the aorist tense, which is a simple past tense, and you have a perfect tense, which is, which is different than the simple past tense. So when I say, behold or see... The, the kind of love the Father gave us, the impression is that it could be that we're thinking, because it's a simple past tense, well, God gave his love to us at a certain point in the past, but it's maybe questionable if he still loves us. It's just something that he placed on us in the past. It's a simple act. It's an accomplished act. But when things come in the perfect tense, that means they were accomplished in the past, but they have continuing results for the future. What that, what, that, what that means, practically speaking, if you want to look at it practically, is that we can say as God's people, you know what? God at a certain point of time placed his love upon us, but also this, perfect tense, that love continues to stay on us and it will always be on us in the future. We never lose that. So we can practically say, you know what? God has always been my father. He is my father now and he always will be my father. And I was always his child, I am his child now, and I always will be his child. That's an important thing. Kids, um, when you think about your own dad, okay, and, and let's say you're particularly naughty, and let's say not just for one day, let's say for two or three days, and you're just always getting into trouble, and sometimes your dad gets kind of angry with you, right? Do you, do you think when your dad gets angry like that, do you think that he stops loving you? I can tell you right now, he doesn't stop loving you. He might be frustrated, but he never stops loving you. The same thing with our Heavenly Father, but in an even bigger way. Sometimes, sometimes you know what? We, we, even as adults, kids, we're not always good. And we wake up on the wrong side of the bed, so to speak. And sometimes we grieve the heart of God. And we, we, we trouble God, right? But does, does that mean that God the Father no longer loves us? How many of us would say, if, 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 you, got into, uh, if, if, if you or I got in a particular sin, and we challenged each other, and we, we asked each other a question, do you think now that you have really sinned against God, do you think that he stopped loving you? I think a lot of us would say, well, I don't think he stops loving me, but, but in the back of our minds we're saying, yeah, but right now he's kind of tolerating me. He's tolerating me. God's love never turns into toleration. It can turn into discipline. That's true. But even, even discipline is, is the source of that is God's love, only to restore us back to himself. 
That's how profound the love of God is. God's love, God's love is special, and God's love is constant, and this is the kind of love that the God Father has given us. And our text says this is how God knows us as recipients of his love, and he knows us as his children. Take a look at the text again. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. In some ways, it seems kind of strange there, doesn't it? That it seems like you could almost omit that sentence and just move on to verse 2. But I think it's kind of a significant sentence. Um, what, what John is doing and what he does in the rest of this letter is, is he's, he's saying this. He's, he's, he's engaging what we call antithetical thinking. That means he's contrasting. He's saying, okay, over here you have God the Father and you have you and I as, as his children. And then you got over here, you got the, the nations of the world. You got the peoples of the world. And here's the thing. The, 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 the people who are what we call the unchurched, the people who are non-Christians, they look at us and they, they, they don't view us as the children of God. They maybe view us as religious folk or something like that. Or, or if, if we got the signs outside and we park our cars, we go into the building, there are going to be people in this neighborhood who, who I doubt, as we're coming into this gym, would say, ah, now there go the children of God. You know, now they're going like, well, there's, there's people, I guess they're going to church. I guess they have a church there in the gym, don't they? You know? Um, they don't know us as children, and they also don't know, ultimately, us as children because they don't know God as their father. If they knew God as their father, they would know that they are children and that we are children. So in other words, there's just kind of a, there's a veil that is over their eyes, and there's a veil that over their hearts. And it's, I guess, although John doesn't get it, it's a reminder to us, it's a privilege to convey the gospel to others that they may enter into that relationship with the father and join us as God's children. One other thing, I just want to leave it at that because I want to keep moving on. One final thing I want to say in regard to this text, and then I also want to consider just for a moment the Heidelberg Catechism, and that is this. And this is a really important point, okay? The only way that God becomes our Father is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus says? Um... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know what the Bible calls us? And I touched upon that this morning. You know what the Bible calls us just in and of ourselves as human beings, apart from any relationship with God? It calls us children of wrath. Children of wrath. You know? How many people in this world just think, well, you know, I may not be a Christian, but I know that, you know, God's a loving God, you know? Isn't that interesting? Of all the attributes of God, everybody in the world wants to think that God is loving. They want to think that. They don't talk about God's holiness or God's justice or God's wrath or any of that. It's all just God loves. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that in of ourselves, because of a sinful nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve, from which arise sinful actions in our life, because of that, we are children of wrath. But we change in that status from children of wrath to children acceptance and love through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the very sacrifice that was paid as a penalty for our sin to bring us to the Father. That, that is a beautiful, and that is an incredible thing. 
I think of what John says elsewhere. I think it's in the first chapter of John where he says, He, that is Jesus, came to his own, but his own received him not. But to those who do receive him by faith, to those who do receive him, to them he calls the children of God. So only through, only through Jesus. And what John is saying in verse 2 is that very Jesus who brings us into a relationship with the Father is the very Jesus one day that we're going to be able to see and become like in the world to come. Verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, oh, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. One day we're going to be able to look Christ in the face. And what a wonderful day. What a, you know, it's, it's, and we're going to be, be able to express our gratitude to him very personally. Um, I've, had, I've had people, I've had people say to me, um, of their loved ones who have died in Christ, that they have sometimes uh, received visions of, of the Christ before actually dying. And they're very short. And I remember one woman, uh, a woman in our church saying of her mother, her mother saw Christ and she said, oh, he's so beautiful. He's so beautiful. And one day we're going to see that beautiful Savior. And thank him for bringing us into the love of God the Father. Now, as I draw away, draw us away from this text for a moment, when, when you think of God, when you think of God, do you think of God really and personally as your Father? A Father who loves you specially? A Father who loves you adoptively? For in Christ, He adopts us as His own, not orphans, not children of wrath, when you think of your God, do you think of God the Father, especially, adoptively? And do you think of God the Father's love for you comes to you constantly? Those three things. Constantly, adoptively, and specially. Is that how you view God the Father's love for you? Or, or right now, do you have to confess that this Father is kind of only a word to me or a name to me. And actually, in reality, that this God is aloof, this God is distant, and this God is really pretty inconsequential in my life. He's not really touching upon my life much. You know, sometimes you find people have been going to church all their life and they feel so far from God. And you have to ask yourself, why is that? Why is that? Is that something that they have done? Something that has been done to them. What, 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 something, there are various reasons for that. But what, what about you? You feel aloof? Or does God seem intimate as your father? I find pastorally speaking, sometimes people fall into kind of two traps when it comes to God the Father. Sometimes this God the Father figure appears to them. And sometimes it's because of their upbringing in the church or in their own homes where this, this father is a sovereign figure, right? He's a majestic figure, a very powerful figure, but they know littleness, little of the tenderness and the love of the father. And then there are some who, who just kind of get a feeling for the tenderness of the father, but don't have much of a grasp of the, of the power of God, almost like he's a Santa Claus figure. What about you? 
This is, this is why I want to I draw your attention now, if you put the Heidelberg Catechism up there. And I want you to take a look at it with me for just a moment. Because here, like I said at the very beginning of the sermon, here what we find is a very beautiful and actually a very balanced view of God where you find power, but you find love. You find the flexing of muscle, if you will, but you also see tenderness. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Look at that answer. That the eternal Father, that is, that he has no beginning and no end, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing... Latin term ex nihilo means God created simply kids by the word of his mouth. God just said, and it was. Out of nothing, he created heaven and earth and all that is in them. But notice, he still upholds and governs the world that he made, the heavens and the earth, by his eternal counsel and providence. Now that word providence, you're wondering, what does that really mean? We're going to look at that next week, okay? This God is for the sake of Christ, his son, my God, and my father. So kids, this is what you find in this, what I just read to you. You see this, you see God flexing his muscle. He's powerful and he's sovereign. He is the creator of the world. So powerful is he that he just simply speaks things into existence. He's the creator of the world. He's also the one who upholds the world and he rules over all things in the world so that nothing that happens in this world happens by chance. But all things come from this, from our Father's hand. We'll look at that more next week. Now, the interesting thing that Heidelberg does in light of the Bible is this. It never presents us a picture of the Father as flexing his muscles and being so powerful that somehow he's just out there and, and we, almost, we just always need to just be afraid of him. Notice the personal language here. For the sake of Christ his Son. Remember I said that just a few minutes ago. God actually then is not just God the Father out there. He's actually my God and my Father. Now, no further the care and the tenderness of God. Go to the next part, if you would. In him, that is the Father, I trust so completely and have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for my body and soul. And also, and this comes from Romans 8, he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. Now notice, he's able to do this because he's a muscular God, he's almighty God. But here we see his tenderness. He's willing to do this because he is a faithful father. See, isn't that beautiful? A beautiful balance between God is powerful, loving, muscular, tender. So let me end with this. Here we see a very balanced view of our Heavenly Father, which, which makes us ask as dads here, because it is Father's Day after all, is that the kind of dad that I am to my kids? So dads, let me, let me ask you especially, because I think this text relates to every one of us, regarding our relationship with our Heavenly Father. But when it comes to Father's Day, let me ask you as dads, when your children, it's a very personal question, and I'll follow up on this in the discussion time. When your kids look at you, do they see something of their Heavenly Father? And usually, usually it's at this point, you know, you start to feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? Because we all feel inadequate. So ask yourself these simple questions. 
Do my kids see my strength, but do they also see my love? Do they see my strength and and the lines that I'm willing to draw in the sand, as we oftentimes do as fathers for our kids, right? When they're young and when they're in their teenage years. You know, we draw that line in the sand, we give them curfews, and we say, this is the way you're supposed to live, and this is the way you're not supposed to live, and and, and that kind of thing. Do they see those lines in the sand, and do, do do they sense your strength, but do they also know that their dad's a tender dad? an emotionally open dad? Do they see your strength, but do they also know, without a shadow of a doubt, and in a moment, if you had to, that you would give your life for them? Do they see something of your Heavenly Father? I want to end just with this, very quickly. Um, This past week, I was going on a walk in our neighborhood, and um, as I was walking in our neighborhood, I, I went past this one house, and I saw this dad, I think he's probably in his 30s, and he was, he was wrestling with his kids. You know, I could see that. And I, I know they were playing ball or something like that. And, and, and he was just wrestling around with his boys, you know. And then, um, and, as, and as, as, I, as I observe that, um, as, I'm, as, I'm, as I'm watching that, I, I wanted to tell that dad, I wanted to say, Boy, you know what? Enjoy those times that you have with your boys and continue to take time with those boys because I tell you what, before you know it, that time's going to be gone. So I'm glad to see that you're doing it. I never said that. I just kept walking, but I was observing that. And as I saw this dad wrestling around with his boys, um, I wonder if, if those boys, if those boys, if you ask those boys the question, do you think if your dad had to crush you, he could? And they would say, yeah. Yeah, but the dad wasn't crushing his boys. He wasn't beating them around, but he was tenderly wrestling with them, and they were laughing, and I thought, there you go. There's a dad, whether he was a Christian or not, there's a dad who was displaying something of how the Heavenly Father is to us. Because we know that our Heavenly Father, given that he's the creator and the sustainer of all these, make crush us in a moment. But by virtue of Christ, he never does that. Actually, he treats us with tenderness. And even when he has to discipline us when we need it, he does it out of love to draw us to himself so that we can be the kind of fruitful people that he wants us to be. That's the kind of, that's the kind of father that we have. And that's the calling we have as fathers to love this father ourselves and imitate this father before the eyes and the ears of our kids. We're going to talk a little bit about this in just a moment. Before we do, let's come to the Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that you are our Father. Lord, we as earthly fathers here, we just, we just oh, we, we do love our kids, Lord, but sometimes it's consistent, inconsistent. Sometimes we're aloof. Sometimes we just kind of lose our cool Um, And then at times like that, we realize just how much we need to look to you and your empowerment and your grace and at times forgiveness for the way that that we relate to our children. Lord, help us as dads to be the kind of dads that we need to be to our children, oh God, for, for your glory, for the happiness of our children, and for our own satisfaction, Lord, enjoy ourselves, we pray.
in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, 